0: I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bindings. Welcome to Episode 1. Today I'm going to start out by covering one of my favorite authors of all time, if not really my favorite author, Stephen King. And we are going to start with his 1975 classic, Salem's Lot. So, this book was first published on October seventeenth, 1975. It is his second full-length novel. It follows *Carrie*, which was published in 1974. And the next novel to come out after this was the 1977 classic The Shining. Now, Salem's Lot, before we really get into the story and talking about some aspects of the story that I really enjoyed, I want to start by saying I have an incredible bias with Stephen King. The next two episodes after this will also feature Stephen King novels as well. I love him. I I have a giant bias for him. He is my favorite author of all time. So, I'm always going to recommend his book. So before I even start, I'm just going to go ahead and recommend this book for anybody who's interested in horror, sci-fi, fantasy. Anybody who enjoys those genres is most likely going to enjoy Salem's Lot. Now before I get started on this, I want to talk about Stephen King and a corner that I've read that he feels like he backed himself into specifically with this book, Salem's Lot. And that is being a horror writer. Now, if you were to ask anybody off the street what they think of Stephen King, they would say most likely say, "Oh, you know, the guy who who writes horror books, like uh like I've never read any of them, but you know, I've seen The Shining and Carrie and uh you know, maybe It, especially the made for TV It that came out in I believe the 90s, uh which really scared me when I was a kid for sure. I don't think of him as a horror author. I know that he writes books that would be considered horror, and I know that most of of America and people who read his books would consider him a horror author. But if you really look at sci-fi and fantasy as a whole, most science fiction and fantasy books have a pretty horror element in pretty big horror element involved in them. Um, even if you look at the Lord of the Rings, there's many parts of that story that are pretty scary. Um, for instance, Shelob the Spider, who actually which actually happens at the end of two towers. Um, in the books, in the movies, it doesn't happen to the end. It's just because of how he writes those stories in tandem um, in The Lord of the Rings. But So, there are, in She Loves Lair, very scary in The Lord of the Rings. Um, maybe not conventionally scary, but it, it there is a horror aspect to that. And so, Stephen King, although backed into that horror, horror category, and without a doubt definitely has written some books that are 100% horror, I wouldn't consider him a full-on horror writer. I I like to consider him more in like psychological thriller, um, sci-fi fantasy realm. Um, I don't know if you could really classify him in one particular genre. I think he kind of goes so far beyond, and, and this is all my opinion, goes so far beyond putting him into one box that I don't think I could ever label him that. Now, with that said, this book, Salem's Lot, is absolutely a horror book. It is Probably one of the most scary books that I've ever read, and without a doubt, the most scary book I've ever read by Stephen King. And before we continue, I want to talk about what it means to be afraid. Because some people have innate fears, fears of the ocean, fears of heights, fear of death, which is super, supernatural if you think about it. And I feel like Stephen King prays. On these innate fears that humans have. He can use the most basic of fear and use it in a way that will really dig into your psyche and make you feel, I don't want to say scared, but I want to say incredibly uncomfortable. There are times in certain Stephen King books that I just feel uncomfortable. I'm not scared, but I feel uncomfortable. And it it's amazing that he's able to drag those feelings and those emotions out of you because it's something that you're creating in your mind as well. And I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from is because it's not like watching a movie where it's like you see it coming or it's just it just looks scary. What's happening looks scary. and this, you're creating it in your head. So in a way, it's almost easier to approach what what you're afraid of when you're reading it. But at the same time, it kind of like digs a little spot in your brain and, and stays there and can stay there for quite a long time. And with, um, with Stephen King's work, so, so much of it is really disturbing that it, it kind of makes this lasting effect on you. Like, Oh my God, that was, I can't believe I've read that. Like, I don't even know if they could do that in a movie is a lot of the things you'll come across. The Bill Hodges trilogy, um, And Brady, the uh, main antagonist in that story, is is one of those characters, makes you feel incredibly uncomfortable. The things you read him doing, very uncomfortable. If you read that and don't feel uncomfortable, there's probably something wrong, for sure, because it's it's not right. Let's just put it that way. So, at the end of the day, it's interesting to think about how he uses your personal fear even though he doesn't know you. And I as I think about this, it, it got me thinking when was I when did I first become afraid of things? You know, as a little kid, I'm sure there was like naturally things that that I feared. But what was what really stuck with me? What what really scared me when I was a kid? And really one thing comes to mind. I'm from the Chicagoland area. And when I was younger, on Saturday nights, I would go over to my neighbor's house. And later in the night, I think it didn't start till like 10 or midnight or something like that uh on WGN there was a guy who hosted these horror movies and it was he was called Sven Gulli. i think he's probably around to some capacity or at least i hope so because he was responsible for scaring me when i was a kid but he would play horror movies from the 70s and 80s and so this would have been in the in the later 90s i was probably 7 or 8 and so i was over there and we were watching uh we were we were waiting for Sven Gulli to come on and the first or I believe it actually was the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I sat through it, and I, I probably held in my fear as much as I could to you know not look like a, a coward, but I sat through this movie because I wanted to be brave enough to sit through the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, to really face Freddy Krueger and see what that fear was like. And it was a horrible, horrible mistake, because what I didn't realize was when I went home and was by myself, that's where Freddie got you. Freddie got you in your dreams. The one place I couldn't control, that was where Freddie could find you. And I found that fear very interesting. At the time, I didn't find it interesting at all. I found it horrifying. But looking back at that, I find it so interesting because... It's preying on this thing, this part of your psyche, your dreams that you can't control. And now that I have such a a fondness for Stephen King and have for many years, I see that that's that's like a, a plot device. It's an easy way to say, how can I get this person to kind of buy into this? Because this is something that they have to deal with. Now, in relation to this whole element of fear and the story of Salem's Lot, Salem's Lot is very specifically about vampires. It's about a about a vampire who moves into the town of Jerusalem's Lot. Um, obviously, nobody knows he's a vampire when he shows up, and and slowly the town starts to fall to to shit, basically because. Um, the vampire is starting to kind to, you know, having to feed on his prey and everything like that. So you could sit and think, well, you know, well, what's, well, I get that, the, why that would be scary. You know, of course they're vampires, but the fear is not based around the vampire. The fear is based around how it takes over this town. And when we think about that, we're all from towns, whether they're big or small. Or city we're all from towns and we could see where that would be scary where something could take over a town and in this story Jerusalem's lot is something is a is basically at least as far as I, I perceive it is a is, is a town that's been infested by evil for a very very long time and you get little bits of this throughout the story which is very interesting. But if you are into reading Stephen King's short stories, you'll find that he actually has a short story called Jerusalem's Lot. And this short story takes place in, I believe, the 1800s. And it shows how the evil that has infested this, this area of the United States, which is in Maine, has actually been there for a really long time. And you know, who knows how long it's been there before the events of even the short story of Jerusalem's lot. So it it almost approaches this sense of evil being this sickness that can basically just like infest an area like a cancer and just grow and grow and grow. And evil will want to find its way to this cancer and feed off of it as well and use it. And that's what Barlow, the antagonist of Salem's Lot, the vampire, does in this story, which is really, really interesting. So, the infestation of evil in this town kind of grows throughout its history. And it climaxes before the events of the story. And I believe the 40s or the 50s with this, um, this man named Hubie Marston, who has this creepy house. And within it, he eventually murders his family, commits suicide. And then that becomes like the you know, don't go by that house in this town of Salem's lot. Well, naturally, when Barlow moves to town, what house would he want besides Hubie Marston's house? So he moves into Hubie's house, and then it becomes this whole town gossip on these two guys who have moved in. And at the same time, Barlow and his his, which you later found out, find out is his familiar name Straker, open up an antique furniture store, which I found really hilarious because the town was like super excited about it. And so uh Straker opens up this, this furniture store and everybody comes in and is looking around and asking, oh, where's your partner Barlow? And Barlow just happens to be off on a on a buying expedition, and I believe New York, which is a you know a great excuse, turns out you know he 's actually just a vampire chilling in his house because uh, they 're not supposed to come out during the day, which you probably all know. Straker is his familiar. I am not super fond of of vampire stories um, i I watched the show True Blood when it was on HBO I thought it was pretty ridiculous, but it definitely kept you entertained. Uh, I, would never, I wouldn't touch the Twilight books. Uh, you know, I believe that vampires should at least have some strict rules. And those that, that story, as far as I know, kind of um, goes against most of those rules. Um, at least the main one, which is they can't walk in the daylight. And certainly if they go in the daylight, they're not going to glow like a beautiful diamond, which I find absolutely ridiculous. But back to Straker. Straker is the familiar of the vampire Barlow. And basically what a what a familiar is, is they are a they are a servant like an indentured servant to a vampire but i believe the deal is is that there's almost like a contract that they have between them that if he spends enough enough years as a servant he eventually becomes a vampire that's in question i don't know a lot about vampires but um I'm curious about that because within this story Barlow doesn't seem to have any issues with turning anybody into a into a vampire so um, I don't know why Straker maybe Straker doesn't want to be a vampire not really got they don't King doesn't really go into this in this story um, He doesn't even refer to Straker as a familiar but based on what I knew about vampires I just assumed that was supposed to be his role was as the familiar so these events kind of unfold based around this main character whose name is Ben Mears. And Ben Mears is a writer and he came to, he he actually used to live in Jerusalem's lot, had a very scary experience uh, going into Marston Hubie Marston's house when he was a kid. Um, it was a dare kind of deal. He was trying to get into this club and he had to go into this house to um to be able to become a part of this club right great idea never uh, always a good idea to uh to to run with the kids who tell you you have to go into the house of the guy who murdered his entire family so you know stupid kid makes this decision goes into this house and to to what he believes he's goes to the upstairs bedroom and finds Hubie Marston hanging, which this all the events of Hubie Marston killing himself happened years and years before Ben was living in uh um, Salem's lot, or Jerusalem's lot as the, the full name would be called. So Ben's a writer, which is a classic Stephen King. He I I don't know if as a writer it's just kind of natural to um include them as characters and stories but um there are a lot of them that he uses within his stories for instance um tommy knockers is is uh the two protagonists and one kind of an antagonist um, our writers in Tommy Knockers. He, it's a common uh, obviously the Shining Jack is a writer. It's a common theme he uses for characters. Um and I don't know if it's like a self-reflective thing. I think to a certain degree, especially with the Shining, it's a self-reflective thing, or if he just finds it them as interesting characters. Um but so Ben's a Ben's a writer and he had he had been become famous because he because he wrote two books, I believe and so now he kind of got to the point where he got to write he gets to write something that he's really been wanting to write which has something to do with Salem's lot and the Marston house so as he moves back to Salem lot Salem's lot naturally Barlow moves in right around the same time and he starts doing research and writing this story now at the same time he finds a love interest whose name is Susan Norton they become, uh, they become a thing over time to, not to the, uh, not to the liking of Susan's parents. Their age difference isn't huge, but they definitely, I believe, have like a five to ten year age difference between them. While this is all going on, Ben befriends a local English teacher whose name is Matt Burke, who becomes one of my favorite characters in the story, and Ben, or, uh, Matt Burke, Matt actually, um, at some of the mo- some of the most scary moments of this book revolve around uh, experiences with Matt Burke. I'm not going to go into them in full detail because I will encourage anybody to read this story because it is super interesting and it is, like I said, it's scary. It, it it it's worth reading just because of that. If you've always wanted to read a Stephen King book and always looked at him as a horror writer, this is the book to to read to to really get a lot of that horror aspect out of him. But so Matt Burke. Um, he is befriended by Ben, ends up, uh, asking Ben as a writer to come speak to his English class. They become friends. Um, and then the plot kind of unfolds into this whole vampire drama, which is super, super interesting and, uh, plays out in many different ways. Eventually, most of the town becomes vampires, which it seems like a spoiler, but there are a lot of things that, that go down in between. And that's basically just the basis of what the story is about. And this group of people, including Ben, Matt, Father Callahan, who plays a role towards the end of the story, Mark Petrie, and Susan are all kind of working together to stop this from happening and figuring out, out a way to defeat Barlow. Now, Father Callahan I'm going to get into because I was so excited to have him back because this is his first appearance in a Stephen King book, but he actually plays a huge role in the fifth Dark Tower book, which is absolutely fantastic. And I've always loved him as a character, and it's kind of interesting to see and read his origin, especially because he's not the main character of the story. Um, You do get some point of view chapters for him towards the end. And a big portion of his his tale within this story is all about the questioning of his faith and his beliefs on whether or not he should really be a father is should he really be the person um, practicing this faith and, and preaching it to, you know, his congregation, I suppose you could call them. And a lot plays out between him and Barlow that are that is super interesting, and super fun to read into. So I highly recommend, um, if you do decide to pick up this book to really pay a close attention to Father Callahan, and a lot of the foreshadowing that goes on before a lot of the bigger events happened with him later on in the story. Now, the final person, uh, the final main person I want to talk about is Mark Petrie, who is a little boy who is just overall just a super big badass. Stephen King does such an amazing job at making uh, like kids from the ages like 8 to like 15 just super awesome in his stories. It is a great example of that Um the shining is a great example of that doctor sleep is a great example of that he just it's like super uplifting the way he writes them and uh it's really cool to see um this like oh like this they don't have like a lot of the the melodrama that the adults have they're kind of just like in it to do the right thing and it's fun to see them to see their stories play out and especially um within this story because Mark Petrie is involved mainly because of a close friend of his is directly affected by Barlow. So it's cool to see how he kind of works up the courage to, to face these fears that he has. The final character I want to talk about is Susan Norton. Now Susan, the reason I'm bringing her up is because King writes some really amazing, powerful female lead characters that are really, really well developed. And if we look at some of these characters in this story, the development of the characters isn't as serious as it is in other stories. Now, I don't expect it to be like the stand where there's this laundry list of protagonists and antagonists, and you're you're getting full in-depth development of how these characters became who they are. Um, where they're going to end up, why their choices are made, why they make mistakes and how they're going to learn from those mistakes. That's not as built up in this story. And and I think a lot of that revolves around the fact that this is his second book. It's amazing how how interesting and well-written it is, even though it's just his second book. But I think later, like, within a couple books from here is when King, especially with The Stand, which only came out, I believe, in 78 or 79. I don't have that um, that as that fact right off the top of my head. But I don't think character development was what he realized was going to be like a big focus of his. So really, I would say the character that gets the most development is Ben Mears, um, which is really important as him being the main protagonist. But then he uses this interesting underdevelopment of the character of Barlow to kind of use this mystery of him to cre create more of a fear and, and create like this illusion of who he really is. And I found that I found that very well done. Although in other king books where you're starting to look at antagonists, you're almost like, dude, I was in that guy's head and that his head was not a place I should have been in the first place. Um Brady and the Bill Hodges trilogy is an excellent example of this. So Susan Norton, not a super developed female lead character, um, especially if you compare her to like Beverly Marsh from It, which is an incredibly well-developed character, or even Holly Gibney from the Hodges trilogy, um, which Holly kind of takes a little bit to, to develop over over the course of those three books. By the end of it, you're really you're really on her side as far as a character. And then especially when she's brought back um, in the outsider story, she's uh, she she really is a, a powerful female character that that is very interesting in her own right. So a little disappointed as far as that goes. But looking back at the whole story, the character development was just, I, I don't think, a, a big part of his writing at the time. So overall, this story is scary. It's got it's a good introduction to how Stephen King writes his books. He goes back and forth between stories of what's happening amongst the entire town to individual stories like what's happening with Ben or what's happening with Susan, or even towards the end, what's happening with Father Callahan. So you get a, you get kind of a good perspective of what his writing is actually like and kind of sets you up whether or not you think you'd like some of his later books like The Stand or like It, where they are these big stories that you really have to wrap your mind around. So overall, Salem's Lot is worth a read for somebody who's used to King's writing or somebody who's just getting interest, interested in it. I, could recommend, I couldn't recommend it more, and uh, I hope you guys will take some time. Give it a go. If not, check us out. Check me out next week. I am going to be covering the first Stephen King book, which is Carrie and... And that one is interesting, and I have a lot to say about that. And I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond Ah. the Bindings.